0: Well, if you're a fan of this program, you know that I love three things. Yoga, raves, and Halloween. Okay, I don't, I don't love yoga, and I don't love raves. They never end, but I do love Halloween. In fact, I love October because it has Halloween in it. It's true. I love monsters and demons and dark stuff and murder. Uh, by the way, this is all on my LinkedIn profile. But seriously, I love Halloween. So... Here's what I'm going to do. My new book, Rowe and the Midnight Organ Fight, just came out. And I'm going to be promoting the hell out of it in October. Because what better month is there to promote a book about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders one bloody summer in San Francisco? December? Come on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a copy of the book for free. All you have to do is send me an email and tell me how you're going to be spending your Halloween. The Halloween that sounds the best to me, well, that person gets a book. I'll sign it for you, and I'll send it to you. How about that? Just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com, and let me know how you'll be spending the greatest day of the year. All right? And if you're having a sexy vampire party, I'm available. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: Yeah, what Small, you've gone so quiet. I know you know what I'm about. I won't deny it, but you forget you don't understand. You've turned your head, you've dropped my head
0: with the Parkington sisters in tow. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Tanya Donnelly. Let me tell you a little bit about Tanya Donnelly. All right, so Tanya Donnelly has completed what I call the Indie Rock Grand Slam. In tennis, it's the French, Wimbledon, the Australian Open, and the U.S. Open. And in music terms, it's being in three undeniably great bands and then having a successful, critically acclaimed solo career. Think about it. How many people can you name who have done this? So Donnelly was in Throwing Muses, The Breeders, and the Grammy-nominated Belly. And her critically acclaimed solo career, bolstered by albums like Love Songs for Underdogs, is impossible to deny. Not too shabby, Tanya Donnelly. Now, I will tell you that Tanya is someone I've wanted to talk to for a really long time. Not only is she a magnetic figure with tons of onstage charisma, she's a brilliant and evocative lyricist whose work is a dreamy blend of Anne Sexton wallace stevens and leonard cohen heavily imagistic and loaded with mysterious symbols that shimmer and fade and turn to gold then dissolve in the dark and rise again as stars with colors you've never even seen before donnelly's work is the kind of work that really sticks with you there are shipwrecks and moonbeams and rain and weird lights and dogs with see-through skin you know the kind of skin you can see through the fact is Tanya Donnelly is a fascinating and brilliant writer, as well as being a fascinating and brilliant singer. Her vocal gymnastics are subtle, powerful, and deeply arresting. She's a mysterious and captivating artist, and I've admired her work for years. Her new album, Tanya Donnelly and the Parkington Sisters, covers some of Tanya's favorite songs by the Go-Go's, Leonard Cohen, Kirsty McCall's Split Ends, The Pretenders, Wings, and Echo and the Bunnymen. And let me tell you this, it is outstanding. It's so good. You'll hear some of it on this show. You'll also hear me talking to Tanya Donnelly. So let's get to that. This is me and Tanya Donnelly having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. How's your uh, your level of anxiety? Are you are you circumspect, or are, are you pretty stressed?
2: Pretty kind of stressed,
0: to be honest.
2: Really? It hasn't. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part, part of that is just like we care for my husband's folks to a certain extent. Not in any, you know, they have they're pretty pretty self cleaning for the most part. But we, you know, we do. My husband does pigeon quite a bit. There and so there's sort of an extended bubble, you know. Um, right. So that makes that adds a layer of worry having three young people that are in our charge and in our under our who have very kind of different ideas about what what's a good idea socially.
3: <laughs> right, <laughs>
2: like a lot of not um, of navigating around that and compromising nonstop daily compromise just daily daily compromise which um you know i guess that's a a muscle that is important to exercise anyway so you could look at it that way
0: (laughs) have you have you always been someone who has been able to sort of pivot if you have a plan and it changes because of logistically or you know a pandemic let's just say um are you a pretty good improviser or do you have a hard time leaving the plan behind
2: no i'm pretty good at pivoting i have a it's
0: pivotal, a pivotal experience. <laughs> I
2: had yeah. a lot of experience pivoting. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm a lifelong pivoter. So that's not an issue,
0: yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like when you're a parent, you're a pivoter, you have to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. What about like creatively for you? What's, what has happened now that we've had um, a few months, more than a few months, every artist I talked to in the, in the first part of it was like, this is great. I can get down to business. Get my work done. Now six months out, they're saying it's not so great because there's no revenue for live music. We're starting to get worried.
2: Yeah, I, I, I and I think that that I don't want to be. It's really hard, you know. I was full of silver linings a couple of months ago, and I'm, I am out of them. I feel like um, there's gonna have to be some really uh creative replacements, because I can't imagine that, um, you know, I worry for the venues and I worry for the clubs, but I, I, I would love to have, you know, to have some real, I just watch shows being pushed back and back and back and back. Um, and I think a new conversation has to happen around, you know, rather than just be delaying around replacing and figuring out how to, there's a club, One Somerville here, there's a club here called One Somerville, it's um, a fantastic venue, but they very quickly um, had a streaming platform. It feels like a show somehow, like just the way uh, they structure it and present it. And um, that's been great. I feel like um, there's also a club here called The Burn that's always done streaming. So they actually have this great model whereby you can actually go into The Burn by yourself mm-hmm. or with distanced musician friends, and play a show that streams. So that's kind of, that's, I like that there's, don't get me wrong, there's nothing, nothing, nothing replaces live music. Being right. in a room, you know, that's, but there's something nice about watching people play on a stage.
0: <laughs> yeah. even, if
2: you're, even if you're not.
0: <laughs> right, right.
2: And And I love the intimacy of the phone shows. You know, there's something really, nice about that, but I do also, you know, I miss the frame of a stage, and it's nice to see that, that, you know, there are venues that are figuring yeah. out how to, how to use their stage again, um, without putting people in a room.
0: Yeah, I worry about sound engineers, I worry about people who do the yeah. lighting, I worry about all those people, I don't know what they're going to do.
2: yeah, well, this, I feel like this model, because, you know, the two examples I just used, there are sound engineers. In the room, yeah. There, are, there is lighting, you know, and again, it's just a scant percentage of what existed before, but I just feel like finding a way to to just pull us through to the other side um, make sure that the, that the doors will open again someday.
0: Yeah, I just spoke to the singer of The Apartments and he was telling me that, he said, oh, my tour dates have been rescheduled for October. I said, that's not so bad. He said, October of 2021. I was like, oh, right. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) You know, I've had Kristen on the show a couple of times and I know she spends so much time on the road. um, This has probably not been easy for her.
2: This has not been easy on my sister. shes I mean, she is a road dog. She would... She's so, 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 so itching to get out. Yeah, yeah.
0: but also just in terms of keeping the lights on in your life, uh, that's where I start to really worry as well. You know, like you need, so many musicians really do rely on that to pay the bills.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I know several people who have albums out who had, you know, life-sustaining tours set up not to, you know to support what their new you know su- support their new music but also that's their job their day job you know yeah. it's how they support themselves and their families most of them, much of the time too um yeah it's I don't know
0: well it's dizzying I, right
2: it's and it's also you know I just feel like there's no there's no one emotion around anything anymore. It's everything is like a an emotion trifle of, la- you know, just layers of you never feel one thing at a time right now. It's every, and, and you know, and speaking on this subject, I, I, all of these, there's, you know, I get this just like sadness and hope and, and deep concern and um, guilt for some reason, like, it just like <laughs> everything, yeah. a layer of, of everything, you know, you're feeling multiple things simultaneously at all times.
0: Tell me about guilt. Guilt in what sense? It,
2: I mean, I think in the sense that there's a part of me that feels like this is a time for proaction, and I'm not, you know, it's easy for me to say people should be thinking of alternatives, but really, I should be thinking of, you know, that this, this is a community a widespread community agency is needed where everybody is, is starting to have the conversation. What are we going to do? And how are we going to sustain, sustain this through the next possibly year? You know, I mean, who who knows?
0: Yeah. And when it comes to the shows that you're talking about, the pivot of let's do something online, let's do something through Facebook, let's put something on YouTube. the experience for you as a performer must be entirely different, because for me as a professor, when I'm in the classroom, I can teach all day. When yeah. I'm on Zoom, I mean, you and I talking is fine, um, but when I'm on Zoom with 20 people staring at me, in 10 minutes I'm sweating and I'm drained. I'm so tired.
2: And what, that is so, I'm, that's, I'm actually taking a couple of online courses right now, and um, it's exhausting for no yeah. yet not really sure what that what that energy drain is you're in your own house you're sitting in your own chair you're in, in a whole familiar place and it's 10 times more more draining
0: like the cat walks by you're you're you know you're comfortable but for whatever <laughs> reason I, i'll tell you what i think it is i think that you feel you're being looked at in a totally different way than when you're like in a classroom or on a stage, I feel like the gaze at you is more intense in some way.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Yep, yeah, I do actually, I have, um, for this, uh, a friend of mine advocates for this class um, very strongly that you take your own image out of the mix, out of the gallery. That makes a huge difference because then it does feel, you know, Like, even though I'm like a postage stamp size in the corner, I still am watching my hands move. You know, I'm not looking at myself directly, but there's that, you know, self-awareness as well um, that I think is stilting. I think it, I think it, it, there's a self-editing piece to that when, you know, even when there's even a peripheral visual of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you if you have that option
0: to do what you're teaching. You know, I, I, I want to have the option of just an entirely black screen and then my voice, just a disembodied voice just comes out. <laughs> Listen to me. Um, and, I'll, you know, in, in a classroom setting, students are also very aware of each other. Um, but when it's just you on a screen, I mean, I imagine when you started playing live, um, when you first started doing it, did you feel the intensity of being looked at and is that something you ever got used to, or did it was it always kind of a weird thing to be that performative for people?
2: Um, it was. It, it yeah. I mean, it, it took me many years to get used to. I I I was never throughout throwing muses never used to it. Readers never used to it. Something hit. I think because belly toured so intensely. You know, we we toured for we had like an eighteen month tour at one point. <laughs> I think at like a few months into one of the first super, very, the first very long one, it just became a matter of like, all right, I have to switch this off somehow or my nervous system will be permanently (laughs) impacted. (laughs) Um, And it just sort of became something where I I just stopped worrying about it. I stopped thinking about it. and also, at that point, we were such a well-oiled machine that there was, I just, you know, felt like, okay, we can, we're just going to do the thing we do. And it, you know, it, it just felt more, <clears throat> um, more sure, more of a sure thing, I guess. So that helped with the nerves.
0: Like it was a mechanism that you could be just a part of and just slip into your part and play it. Yeah. 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 Do, are you an introvert by nature or extroverted
2: um kind of a weird i'm a i'm a, I'm a forced extrovert <laughs> I, I, I would say introvert definitely um and i mean when I was a kid when i was growing up i, I uh just wanted to be invisible basically you know i wanted to be completely unseen um and that lasted for a little ways into my adulthood i I do think i mean i would say that i'm a i'm an introvert that's very interested in people and enjoys like i enjoy the company of most you know i love i love my friends i love playing shows i love the people that come to our shows and so that feels like a comfortable i think any of those people would maybe describe me as as uh, as more out than in but i feel more in
3: than out i guess
0: and is it sort of draining for you like in other words after a show do you need how do you recharge after you give so much as an introvert um on a stage or even just doing even just doing um you know something online um how do you turn back into yourself like what do you need to do to do that
2: um sleep right (laughs) uh, You know, it took me a very long time into my adulthood to understand how important sleeping is, Yeah, you know, it felt like, you know, just sort of more of like a quick recharge and now I understand it for what it is you need to, you need, first of all, I I am a firm believer in a full dream cycle. I think that that is important, like in a profound way. for rest and for personal evolution, and you know, I, I think you need to dive into some good dreams every night. Um, and that only happens if you're getting the full, the full dose.
0: I imagine the full dose has also something to do with duration. So, like a nine-hour sleep night—is that a, a good way to do like, it? Or?
2: Yeah, eight, nine.
0: Eight, yeah. nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm. Um, I'm in the five to six. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm. You know, yeah. Isn't
2: it weird that just like I mean, that's one thing that I've been talking to the kids about because they're they're sort of like, why when we have every opportunity to have a full night's sleep now is it five hours and then I'm away, you know, five or six hours and then I just think that that's that's worry.
0: It's the worry, the worry clock. <laughs> yeah, it's totally the worry clock. Speaking of children, I was watching uh, Alanis Morissette's new video, which is just great. It's such a marvelous song, and she just sounds great. Um, and she's a relatively new mother. And in the video, she has her children, and it's really a song for her children. I'm not sure if you've heard it. And yeah. she's very public with, with her motherhood and with her children. Um, when you embarked on motherhood, did you feel a need to sort of kind of wall that off a little bit and keep it more private um or was that something conscious you even thought about
2: um i keep them pretty private I, I, I do i mean i don't you know every once in a while i'll like tweet an anecdote or i'll put a picture of them on instagram or something with their full cooperation always right. um but I, you know, I kind of follow. Well, I think when Gracie was small, and my mm-hmm. oldest was little. She toured with us until she was, you know, until we stopped touring as much, basically. <laughs> but she, so she did full, long, lengthy tours with us through for most of her until she was 6 six or seven. Um, at that point, you know, she was coming to shows, and I would tell stories about her on stage, and you know, um, and then I think she, you know, she hit the hit an age where she became, you know, she was visibly less comfortable with that. And so I stopped. And from that point on, I've just been very um, respectful of what their comfort level is. And they both are um, deeply uninterested in being. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. I love what Alanis is doing, but it feels like a glimpse into a very private part of her life and it, it almost feels, um, I mean it's very generous of her to sort of have a kind of, um, kind of love song for being a mother and what you need to do as a mother and, um, and I love it. But I'm also, it's a very brave choice to sort of be that public yeah. with, your, with your young children.
2: Right. Well, and I did, you know, I have written some very specific maternal songs, you know, songs that are clearly letters to my children or, or, you know, just sort of a, just a, you know, more about me as a mom or what you know. Um, So yeah, that stuff is pretty well documented in song, I think. Um, And it's pretty, I, I feel like it's pretty clear when, when one of those pops up. That it's about one of them. I mean, I mean, when you're writing, that's gonna the the people that you know eclipsed everyone else in my life are clearly gonna pop up,
0: pop up in. (laughs) Right, Right. you can see them. You can see them uh, showing up every now and then again in your creative process.
3: Forever. Yeah. yeah. How (laughs) is
0: your creative process right now? Do you feel that you are? in terms, we talked about pivoting, are you more creatively focused? Are you less focused? Where are you in terms of process?
3: Um, it kind of,
2: right, it's, I feel like self-starting has been really difficult. Um, so I've been very fortunate to be involved in some, um, collaborative, a couple of them doing, I'm um, working on some a batch of songs with Gail from Belly, Gail Greenwood. I'm working with my friend Brian Sullivan from Dylan in the Movies. He and I are doing a project together. Um, people kind of just keep asking me to guest on things. And so I've been doing that. Um, and that has been very regular and daily. And so I feel like I'm keeping, I'm still in the stream of things. Um, I have written a couple of songs on my own, but there's—I don't know. There's a piece of me that just feels like, and this is completely something I'm doing to myself. No one is is adding to this um, externally. Just there's something in me that just feels like, with everything that's going on right now, culturally and you know socially, um, just the pandemic culturally, everything that we're grappling with, there's a piece of me that just feels like, who who needs this, who is this serving, and I'm trying to, I tried very hard to to suppress that, but it's been um, a loud voice, so I'm kind of grappling with that. who does this serve is a big question right now for me, which I either have to abandon or find the answer to, I guess.
0: So. Yeah, because, because we have a, you know, a pandemic, political unrest, a very important long overdue conversation about race, um, yeah. police violence. And you think like, I'm gonna write a new song and it sort of feels like, well, stacked up against that. But then again, I mean, art has always been the refuge from the real world, right? And um, and
3: it's pushing, you know.
0: Like,
2: it, and if I hear an artist, I hesitate to say that because whoever wants to hear from me, that I don't want to. I don't want to. To the message to be, um, you know, you're fine, you know, because if I, the artists that I love and that are helping me get through this, I would be. Um, it would make me feel blue if they were saying what I was what I'm saying right now. So yeah, it's a it's a I know that it's a um not the greatest uh to be taking right now, but I'm working on
0: it. Yeah, and, and you don't want to write your COVID song. Like nobody wants to do that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It- it, it kind of, this kind of stuff activates, um, politically, I always feel that that it activates the activist and artists, um, which mm-hmm. is why we have such great, you know, from Phil Oaks to punk rock, you know, that people yeah. have fire in their belly about, but there's so much going on right now um, that yeah. it might show up in the work, it might not, but you're, you're have mm-hmm. always been very impressionistic and um, right right so they wouldn't be it wouldn't be like a literal thing but maybe it's showing up in the work and you don't even realize it
2: yeah and that has happened that that is definitely going to happen and has happened in in the past yeah i'm sure as the election draws closer that there will be <laughs> there will be you know i mean i find it's also just like um sort of finding a way because that impressionism that you mentioned that's not a a choice, it's how I write, and so uh, that's another piece to like big you know, these big, um, this big, so this social rage that I'm that we're all feeling right now um, is a boulder, and I tend to write more in like gravel, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, I actually understand what you mean. Uh, I totally get that, and I've I've always felt in my own work, because I'm a writer, and I've always felt, um, I always encode everything, so, you know, like, my family, my personal life, it's in there, but it's not, it's encoded, and it's so deeply encoded that you you wouldn't know it's there, but it's, sometimes I don't even know it's there, Um, but it's there, you know?
2: It's fun when you don't know it's, that's my favorite kind, is when you figure out years later that it was there, that the thing you did not realize you had said you
0: have said. Have you ever found this? I was working on a poem the other day and I could not stick the landing. The poem was done. I had one last line and I could not come up with it. And I found myself, there are things I know that I can get away with that feel like cheap tricks to me. They feel like fake endings, but I think think it would fool most people. But for me, it's not gonna fool me. Right. Um, Do you find sometimes if you hit a creative wall that you find yourself going back to those reflexes where you know you can pull it off, but it's not really what you want to do.
2: Yes, and I have done that before and regretted it. You know, there are the, there are moments, you know, that I have made that choice and I will wince <laughs> whenever I hear it or think of it. Um, so yeah, that I think you, that's, um, and especially if that's how you feel, because yes, it, as you said, if, if, you know, you have to be unfooled and you have to be, because, you know, when you do, when you make that choice, it takes the rest of your poem down into the, to the lowest line, you know, and yeah. Do
0: you teach poetry? Is that what you teach? Writing? And- I teach writing, yeah. Yeah, I do. And so, I mean, and I was laughing because it literally took me 20 years to put my first book of poems out, but it was, I was just tweaking it and, and just tweaking it and I don't want to take 20 for the next one. Um, but there, there. When I do that thing, where when I reg- when I regress and do the thing that's easy for me to do, it makes me feel like I've I'm devolving as a writer and going back to being 27 years old and and pulling off these cheap tricks. And um, you have to hold yourself to this weird standard where you can't allow yourself to do that. So you're the Ref- creator, you're the editor, and you're the referee. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you, do you yeah. find that in your in your own work?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always find like, you know, this is going to sound so simplistic, but it was said by a transcendentalist and that's about as pure as it gets, but Louisa May Alcott actually, um, was asked, you know, how do you, how do you finish? Uh, that, That was the question. Um, and she said, I take a long walk. I walk away from the book. I walk away from my desk. I walk out of my house. I walk and I walk and I walk and I walk. And at the time, you know, I remember reading that and thinking, you know, just, oh, that seems simple. But honestly, I started taking that, and especially in the dead of winter um, here, that that does it, that kind of does it. Like it just, it just blows everything out and sort of brings clarity. Um yeah, so I would literally just walk into the woods. <laughs> basically, just keep walking and we'll answer to a, you know, to a to... it's a body answer to a brain conundrum, but it does it does work for me anyway. Oh,
1: all let see again. And now my hurricane. Have brought down this ocean rain To bathe me again My ship's a sail Can you hear its tender frame Screaming from beneath the waves Screaming from beneath the waves Hands on deck at dawn, sailing to sadder shores. You're porting my heavy stores.
3: A
0: lot of people who listen to the show are young, artistic aspirants who are young musicians, writers, and in terms of daily practice, I always like to ask, you know, what, how are you on a daily practice? Are you working every day? Are do you take days off intentionally from not playing, um, or singing, or writing, or how do you handle that?
2: In um, in a normal time you know in the pre pre-lockdown i would work every day very you know um kind of in a dedicated practice time dedicated writing time um now with a house full we're you know we're working around each other a lot um there's a lot of figuring out who's going to go where when because they're all students and how things you know so it's much more when i can at this this point um i imagine that when some sort of academic structure returns to our house that i will um follow you know i tend to when i consider the kids school time to be my that that's what i dedicate to work time i don't you know um and so I, I'm hoping that that discipline returns once some, some mod, you know, whatever the modified normalcy is going to look like, um, that, that that discipline will return. Right now it's very, you know, I mean, I haven't written like this since I was a kid, since I was young, and just sort of like writing on napkins, <laughs> um, you know, the, just the sort of like late teens, early twenties way of doing things again where I'm just scribbling on things and um running running upstairs to like to you know grab a phone and start whispering into it, singing into it. And, um that hasn't happened in a long time. So it's very uh scattered right now. Um which is not my I do actually prefer to have I just have always um responded best to it to schedule. It's just how I function. I was just talking to my daughter about this. She's probably listening to me right now. Like she just said that. <laughs> I, we were just talking about how different we are and how she feels like she works better with an unknown, what, without knowing what her day is gonna look like. She accomplishes more that way. And I'm the opposite. I'd like to know, I, I like to, um, I like to have a space where I write, and I like to have a space where I practice, and you know, just whether that's indoors or outdoors.
0: I've found that some people also can't create, if their house is dirty, they have to clean the house, they have to make sure everything's set, and then they can get down to work. That's you, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, because the idea is like cluttered house, cluttered mind. Yeah. So have you always been like that?
1: Um, I have,
2: yeah. Much to the annoyance of everyone who lives. Well, I can let me speak up here, I'll show Let's you.
0: Let's see. I mean, that is tidy, Tanya. That, that is tidy. There, that, that's like uh, Marie Kondo has been there. <laughs> but that looks like a very good room to write in.
3: Yeah, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When you were writing on napkins in the early days, when you were writing on the backs of receipts or in your car on the back of something, um, compared to the work where you were more ritualized, was the work different? Was it more fully realized? Was it com- more complete and less scattered?
3: Um, I
2: think when I when I have when it's when I do have a structure or a time carved out that's specifically to write, I tend to finish things more. Um, it it feels more like a like a body of like a song that I've done in a tight time frame has a has kind of a oh, how can I put this without sounding like a hippie <laughs> it has like
3: it has a sort
2: of a more solid body to it it feels like it has heft I guess yeah where. And that I'm writing on the fly and then I pull together um, feels airier and, you know, a little more fragmented. And that, that has value, too. It's not, you know, I'm not comparing one against the other negatively. Um, but I do feel like if I have the time to sit and work consistently, it's it just, it feels more fleshed out to me, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, there was no pressure for you to say like I'm going to write today from four to seven. If you walk away empty-handed, is that as much a part of the process as? One
2: hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's what I do think that especially young artists um, feel. And not I don't mean this in terms of like the new young people. I mean all young people throughout time. So this isn't a generational comparison. This isn't you know this is just a product of youth. I think. Um, you tend to walk away from empty hours feeling empty. And that's, you know, that is 100% a part of the work is understanding that that wasn't wasted time. Um, that was just, it was just leading to, it's like segue time, it's moving into the next thing. And I always feel like those times when I haven't accomplished anything in a few hours, then when i come back i'm like oh i actually did you know oh there was this that's actually good and you know and then those little tendrils that i thought were useless and were gonna not uh, you know would have to be basketed end up being you know we just end up being more fruitful the next time you sit down to them i guess
0: do you ever go back to unfinished work and pull from it yeah always
2: yeah. I try not to leave anything unfinished. Um, Oh, I mean, there's so few um, discarded scraps. I just, I do try to, I do try to use everything somehow, unless it's just socks. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I can cop to that when it's just...
0: (laughs) Yeah, there are times you know you harvest you harvest the organ uh, you know of what you can and throw the rest of it away right
3: yeah. Right, yeah
2: exactly
0: yeah it's it's weird because sometimes you will walk away empty handed and that is such a demoralizing feeling i mean i think you and i can both relate to that um i got to an age where i realized no no that's like eating a bad meal but you've still you're still s- sustained you're still fed um yeah, you that's have to do it, right right
2: And I do, I mean, yeah, to finish my thought, which I didn't finish because I went off on a weird analogy, but I do feel like like when you're young, when one is young, (laughs) you walk away from that time feeling so discouraged that it's hard to bring yourself back to it. And people, and I watch people give up, you know, because they have maybe a dry month or a dry couple of months or, you know, and it just feels like, um, that's where, you know, the imposter syndrome starts oh, yeah. to say that's when just feeling like you have lost it, you've lost your thing. Um, and there's, you know, really no such thing as, you know, it's just, that's just, you can have, you can have a bad mm-hmm. year. That's a fact Like you can have a fruitless year and still be a valid artist and still be, you know. Someone who should be sitting down and just continuing and continuing until until the year passes.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. It could even be two years. Yeah. Right. Be a while. It could be a while. Yeah. Be yeah. a while. um yeah. Have you? Are you hard on yourself in terms of the stuff that you create? Do you do you know how to hold it to the standard that you want? Mm, that's a good question.
2: Um, I think yes now um yeah lyric lyrically definitely i'm 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 very exacting lyrically i think is where that's the most um glaring for me is that i do if the word is off (laughs) if there's a word that's off for me i i will come back to it and come back to it and come back to it um which doesn't mean that I always nail it, obviously, you know, but, it, but I do, I do th- that's where I feel like, oh, I'm not really, that's not really how I want to say this thing or, or I'm misrepresenting myself or there's more beauty there that I need to tap into. This has to be more beautiful. This thing that I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. It's hard. I think that helps in terms of efficacy. I think it, it helps you become a more effective economical, writer it doesn't right. make the process any easier in terms of the creation but it makes it it makes it easier just to, to p- put blocks up and say you're not allowed in <laughs> you're right not, you're not the right you're not right for this
3: right right
2: yeah absolutely yeah and that is why the you know the perfect those perfect simple songs that you that sound so effortless are very difficult <laughs> in years in the making so yeah
0: yeah, I I wonder about the songs that you chose for the new album, and I've been thinking a lot. I've always said, oh, the Beatles are so incredible because they were so young and these and the work was so fully realized, which is totally true. But mm-hmm. I also think that if you look at Echo and the Bunnymen or you look at Split Ends, they were also young, and those songs were also fully realized,
3: right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: looking at numbers like Ocean Rain, looking at at by the way, great choice of the Split Ends song. That was a very cool. Oh.
3: That song, is,
0: that song is
2: a piece of art. That is like masterpiece. I mean, I'm in I'm a huge Neil Finn fan <laughs> anyway. But that,
0: that. me too. Um, when you look at those songs, was there and they're also different. But was there something that you also gleaned from each choice where you didn't? But that you didn't. You always appreciated the songs, but did you learn something new about each of them in terms of construction, in terms of composition
2: um i learned that i picked a bunch of songs that are flawless vocal performances in the original <laughs> which was a setup which was you know i set myself up for a pretty hard process <laughs> 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 um i did, i think you know I, I chose these songs because they were just like on you know just stuck in my brain pan for that was kind of that's kind of the overarching theme of of this is just songs that are that run and run and run and run through me um it's i would say the one thing working with the parkingtons because the parkingtons you know i really just said i want you i've short you know i keep saying i farmed it out to them but i did just basically say make a parkingtons record and i'll sing (laughs) on
3: top, Um, and i'll
2: sing, or i'll sing with them which has been a long time fantasy of mine. So um, and they, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is just I think that the common thread is one, you know, we go from song to song and say, oh, this one's gonna we know this one. This one's gonna be we got we're gonna get this one and da. da, da. And each one has this really surprising complexity to it. Like something like even days which seems like a simple pop song, just the rhythms of it and the way she sings over it and the way the, mute, the instruments work together and that there's something just interestingly difficult about every single one of them. Um, and so I think that's what we sort of figured, figured out. I think, you you know, you feel like you know a song front to back, but then when you sit down with it, it's as a complete stranger all of a sudden, you know, and yeah. I all of us feel like that's what yeah
0: Kirsty was just a remarkable singer, i mean incredible and that song is it,
2: it, that's what, you know I have to say singing singing that after her, I just felt like she, she just the facility with which she pulls everything you know everything just sounds so like fluid and and she's just you know gliding over the music and it's a hard song to sing because the range of it is you know deceptively uh difficult
0: it's yeah well there was a song she did uh, the guy at chip shop who who says he's Elvis you know that song that, uh, that old yeah, yeah. Song. and it's like it's a really it's a really beautiful smart funny song but there's this part where she says uh he's a liar and i'm not sure about you it always makes me want to cry because there's something the way she delivers that is just so poignant yeah
2: yeah she just has an you know just one of those throats too that uh, you know aside from her yeah emotional really smart emotional and smart's the wrong word um just a natural sense of emotion that she has she also just has this throat that just everything just you know, it's just a her throat's a great instrument. Yeah, <laughs> it's just an instrument. Yeah,
0: one of my all-time favorite singers, without a doubt. I just absolutely adored her.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, what about Ian McCulloch? Great singer.
2: Yes, that was another where I started singing. And I was like, "Who do I think I am?" <laughs> <laughs> Sing this song. <laughs> yeah, that that is a. Gorgeous vocal performance of his and um, and a beautiful song and you know, one thing that I'd let you know I'm gonna talk about the Parkingtons a lot because I adore them and yep. I You know admire them Too much they uh, they um, you know, we talked about the fact that the original sounds like a ship <laughs> Like there's just something about it that makes you feel like It's a boat. and so we talked about you know, I sort of awkwardly said, I, you know, can you do that, <laughs> that thing? Make it sound like a, you know, just talking about just the wood and water of it. Um, and I, you know, when they started playing it, I was just like, yeah, that's exactly. It's just it, there's, there's a, just it feels like it's listing. It feels like creaky at times. There's just like it kind of does. I feel like they really nailed the vibe. You know. That oh
0: yeah, did. it's very oh, nautical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- oh, beautiful, beautifully done. Yeah, w- what an amazing batch of songs. When I when I was about 12, um, I was at the tennis, <coughs> tennis club here in California, and the girl who worked the front desk was kind of a punk rock girl, hip girl, and she took her Walkman headphones and put it on my, didn't say a word to me, just put it over my head. She was about 17, I was 12, and it was, <laughs> it was the cutter. By Echo, and honest to God, Tanya, like nothing was ever the same for me. Right. Those are
2: one. No, those are wonderful moments. Yeah. I just. And I mean, that band, love, deep, deep love.
0: When did they occur to you? When did they sort of change your uh, brain the way they changed mine? Do you remember your first experience with Echo?
2: so my last year of high school is when I discovered when I discovered them. That was uh, they, I mean, the soundtrack. They were such a sound, you know. Probably, you know, maybe my most listened bands in high school could possibly be. Yeah, I think. Yeah, just like um, yeah, they changed everything, and just also I feel like the. At that time, too, um, just the unapologetic drama and richness of it, I really appealed to me for the same reason that Kate Bush appeals to me <laughs> It's just this like you know here it is it's full for you know gates wide open, unapologetic um, and I, I it was nice because it was a time when you know I was kind of in a post punk frame of mind and to hear something so cinematic and so beautiful, um, but still that had that, you know, the cultural edge that I was looking for. It was just, you know, I just, they're, yeah, they're big, they were big for me.
0: It's remarkable because Echo, Kate Bush, the Cocteau twins, none of that stuff sounds dated to me at all. It sounds timeless.
2: Yeah, yep, absolutely. And those are all great, you know, storytellers. And even if you can't, uh, 99% of the time can't really hear what Elizabeth's word, <laughs> Elizabeth saying, she's still telling you. Yeah, those are those, I think of all three of those artists as being story, you know, richly woven stories, you know, every song is a, takes you somewhere.
0: Oh yeah, it feels, it feels like kind of cosmic. I don't know one word of one Cocteau Twin song, but I love them all.
2: Yeah. I know yeah. we yeah so we went um when the one of the managers of 4AD uh named colin was there he was their um, wrangler for years he was their tour manager and um sort of just you know manager and really took care of them for many many years and for his birthday one year i think it was his i want to say it was a landmark like 30th elizabeth Gave him all the lyrics to 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 the to their songs, and I think I, I want to say that it was on a shirt. I think she wrote them on a on an Oxford. I could be wrong. I could be I could be making that up. But I think that no, I think she wrote it all out and wrote them on an Oxford, and gave it to him for his birthday.
0: That's a great gift. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great gift. That's someone told me that oh they're from scotland and i said i think they're from space like i don't think they're (laughs) about that um you know i got into split ends when mtv got started in 81 and the pop songs really made sense to me um but they were really an artistic band uh pre pre neil finn even with neil they were so artistic and so avant-garde did the avant-garde stuff appeal to you as much as the pop stuff
2: oh yeah definitely um and i was you know i think i lo- i loved the brother dynamic too that was you know i loved that they were singing to each other you know and and i think you know like a lot of people um i got you was the first song you know that was at least where in in rhode island that was the 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 gateway song um and i, I definitely you know it was funny because you know we would sort of laugh watching that video because it's so new wave, you know, the face they're making and singing to each other, singing through a television to each other. Um, but that that song is so perfect. It's just the perfect, um, pop song. Um, but yeah, no, I love the angular. I love the fact that there, that there's so much of their stuff is very angular. And, um, and you know, not, not always easy. Um, um, but, but there's always just this big chorus coming. You know, there's always a big chorus coming. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and just lyrically too, you know, that's a huge piece of it. I think that, that Neil and Timken are both incredible lyricists. Um, so, you know, that's always a huge, that's a big draw for me.
0: Yeah. yeah. Were you, have you been a competitive person just with yourself or would you hear something and go oh god you know now i gotta i gotta beat that or or have has your competitive fire always been contained within your own production
2: that is such a good question um and i would love to say that that i have that i feel i think you know there's a possibility that i would be a stronger writer if my competition was you know if I did have outside feelings of competition but I don't i just i i it is all it's all about you know moving on from the last thing I did and hopefully improving on you know just working harder to be better um but I don't really i don't know I don't hear things and I don't have professional jealousy um I I will de- I will he- I will hear something and say ooh, I wish I thought of that or I wish I'd written that or what a great line but it doesn't um, compel me to to try to outdo anything that I've heard I guess um, it's more just like a you know every once in a while I hear something that if there's one artist Elvis Perkins <laughs> Elvis Perkins I will say. When I, like, he, when I listen to him, I feel, I I feel like I want to, I want to be, I want to head in that direction a little more. Like, that's kind of what I'm going for sometimes. Um, He's the only one I can think of offhand that, that gets me a little, you know, ooh, I want to be, I want to get, you know, I want to, I want to figure out how to craft where, you know, his, just his, the way he moves words together and his um, musicianship, obviously, but, um, the way he plays and sings together, this relationship is his vocal relationship with his guitar voice is really, um, uh, incredible.
0: Yeah. I always felt like when I read, you know, like Tom Waits' lyrics or Marky Smith lyrics from the fall, I can't believe, how good those lyrics are! Sometimes it makes me want to give up.
2: <laughs> oh, Tom Waits is ridiculous.
0: Ridiculous, I know. Yeah.
2: That's enough. my phone's about
0: to die. So no, no, it's just... fine. Uh, and I know i have to let you go anyway. Can you um, can you tell me a little bit about <laughs> tell me a little bit about the future, Tanya? Um, what in terms <laughs> of <laughs> I think everybody knows about the future? It's got to be you. Um, I think
2: I actually have somebody the other day say, when um, will the clubs open, do you think? And, and, you know, that's, I'm not making, this is not making light of it. I was just like, your guess is good in mine, pal. <laughs> yeah.
0: We don't know. We yeah. literally don't know. Um, <laughs> in terms of what you have sort of planned, I know you were talking about guesting and working with people. Um, for you, what, what does the horizon look like? What's your, what's your short-term plan artistically, or, or is there one?
3: Um right
2: now just working on these two projects, one with Gail and one with um my friend Brian Sullivan. And then uh Be- Belly's we're starting to talk about doing it. We're doing a couple of acoustic songs right now of old stuff, um just for uh actually I don't think I'm supposed to say that, but we are anyway. Um, and then we're um we're planning, so this summer we were supposed to do Uh, mini festival in Providence um, and it was going to be you know we had yeses from Buffalo Tom and Matter Rose and um, Kay Hanley, uh, Ted Leo, um, John Wesley Harding, um, the Parkingtons (laughs) Um, and we you know that was going to be we have been, we were just starting to organize that and being very excited about it. And we also had authors coming um, and art, you know, there was going to be a visual arts piece and readings from different authors. Um, and so it was going to be this sort of big multimedia thing all taking place at the Columbus Theater in Providence. And we are um, doing it next summer, okay. I hope so that is actually something that we're going to start actively working on because it takes takes several months to pull something like that together successfully and at this point we I think we're going to start thinking about just planning to have it be an outdoor thing in the event that this continues you know to just have it be um tented so rather than have you know my thought is rather than have everyone in the same space have each artist in you know spread out in a like a tented sort of situation or parking lot or you know just that we're not dependent on a building um if we're if we're still here next year um so
0: that's what every college campus sounds like now too sort of tented classrooms outside you know. Right. Um, I'm so grateful that you took the time to chat with me in your clean room.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: What a lovely conversation I had with Tanya Donnelly. Happy to share that one with you. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Tanya is the best. I love her music. I love her writing. Uh, I love her uh, her attitude on life and uh, love chatting with her. Very cool. Uh, you're going to love her new album with the Parkington sisters. Uh, from what you've heard on this program, I'm sure you're already wanting it. Well, you're probably thinking, I like it. I want it. But can I get it on cassette? I think you can, actually. Um, if you go to American Laundromat Records' website, which is alr-music.com, you can get the Tanya Donnelly and the Parkington Sisters album on vinyl, on CD, on cassette. It's there. Uh, also, they have a great Blake Babies t-shirt and uh, some Juliana Hatfield music. Oh, just go there. alr dashmusic.com, and buy away. Go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, see what's going on with me, uh, although if you listen to this show, uh, you probably already know, because I talk about it all the time, incessantly. You can follow me on Twitter, at Embers editor, or you can follow me on Instagram, at emberspodcast, or you can just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com stereo embers the podcast is available on all podcast platforms go to the one that you use find us subscribe leave a nice comment uh tell a friend and then uh i mean i want to say do it all over again but you really can't but tell as many friends as you can how about that we're shooting for i don't know 400 million listeners that's our goal (laughs) i just made that number up I mean, I didn't make up $400 million. That That definitely exists. But uh, I made it up. I just randomly grabbed it uh, because it's astronomical, but it also seems possible. Let's take a fuller listen to Tanya Donnelly and the Parkington Sisters covering The Pretenders. This is Kid. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to our program week in and week out. Enjoy the music, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only. On Bombshell Radio,
1: Kid, what changed your mood? You got all sad, so I feel sad too. I think I know some things you never outgrow. You think it's wrong.